I'm fully convinced that the Bible has the answer to every issue, every problem, every difficulty, every need that you and I might have. If you and I have problems in one area, there ought to be a section of God's Word to which you and I can go and find what we need there. And I'm convinced that you can. There are times when I look around and I ask the question, what kind of world are we living in? And what is people's state of mind? For the next few Sunday evenings, I'd like to focus our attention on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brother David just read from Acts chapter 16, but I want to remind you that the book of Philippians is among Paul's prison letters. He is in prison in Rome. He is there because he has stood for the truth. And yet Paul writes as a man who is trying to take these churches like Philippi, like Ephesus, like Colossae, and even an individual like Philemon, and to try to help them through the difficulties of life. But you see, each letter has a unique purpose. If you're studying the book of Ephesians, the emphasis is on the church. If you're studying the book of Colossians, the emphasis is upon Christ. Philippians was written about joy and happiness. If someone were to ask you right now, are you happy? Do you have joy in this life? You see, Solomon explored a number of different areas of life. He looked at wealth. He looked at pleasure. He looked at intelligence and education. Do you know what he came away with saying, vanity of vanity, all is vanity and striving after wind. Oh, it's not really where happiness is found. In the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus is talking about people who have been persecuted, and he said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Oh, yeah. You see, you and I find ourselves in a world that we can't control. We can't control the political environment. We can't control the weather. We can't control the ideas of men. But we can bring the glad tidings of good things. We can go to God's Word and find joy and comfort and encouragement there. Listen to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There's a challenge that I have. There's a challenge that you have. And that is occasionally to say, I find myself in a world where things are not okay. Can I be okay? Can I find joy? Can I find happiness? If Paul could write from a Roman prison to Philippi and say, Folks, 
Rejoice. Again, I'll say rejoice. And talk about the peace that passes understanding. There's something there for us. Sometimes people have been robbed of their joy as Christians. I tried to listen to the songs that Brother Leonard chose tonight. He prayed a beautiful prayer there. And the glory land way. I mean, you know, you think about all of the wonderful thoughts that were then those songs. Sometimes we fail to grasp that real joy cannot be taken by difficult circumstances. You know, the passage that just sticks in my mind when I think about Philippi is Paul and Silas. They have been beaten. They've been thrown in jail. And they're sitting there at midnight and they're singing praises to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Do you know if someone comes in our assembly here, visits with us, and they hear the joyful noise, they hear us praising God, and they see happiness in our lives, you know what? That says something to them. Maybe these people know what they're doing. So here's what I want to do over the next few weeks. Tonight will be an introductory lesson. Tonight we'll be looking at the city It'll be looking at the conversions, and it'll be looking at the church there at Philippi, just to introduce it to you. You know, maybe you haven't studied Philippians in a while. Maybe you haven't read the book. I can tell you what, in just a matter of minutes, you can read all four chapters. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the city. And, you know, when you think about the city, a lot of this comes from historical data. You can go and you can read the uh, historical background behind the city of Philippi. It's real interesting. Uh, physically, the city was originally known as Crinides, meaning the springs. There's a lot of springs in and around the area, and they come up out of the ground and they form the little tributaries that flow into the little river there. It's located about 10 miles in from the port city of Neapolis. We'll see about that in just a few moments. But uh, it's the city where people settled. What's interesting, it's in a very fertile valley. There's a lot of crops that are able to be grown there. It's a lot of greenery fed by all of those springs. But they found a number of gold and silver mines there. And that made the place a very wealthy place, or like a gold rush, as you can imagine. But the most important thing is where it's located. There is a road that runs from the east to the west and backwards and it's called the Ignatian Way. It's where things will go all the way from Rome all the way to the east, to the Orient. And this is the main road. And don't just think of an interstate, you know, like a city by interstate. The Ignatian Way was one of the major traveled highways going east or west. And if you look on the map, you'll see a little yellow line that goes across there. That's known as the Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way. The arrow points to Neapolis and Philippi. As you can see, that's north of the Aegean Sea. There's a picture there of the city of Neapolis. And we read in Acts 16, verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course for Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. When you get to the area over the city of Neapolis, you can see the Ignatian Way. 
sometimes our idea of these roads of the Bible, we tend to think maybe there were just little dirt paths or things like that. Oh, this is a paved road. It's a nice road that people could have traveled on without worry. If you get to Philippi, that same Ignatian Way is paved right through the city and you can see the stones that pass through there. But there's a lot of political interest in this city as well and the Bible even refers to it. When the gold was found, Philip II of Macedon sent an outpost there because he wanted to guard the gold mines. That happened around 385 B.C. About the time the Old Testament is closing is when this period of time comes. In 168 B.C. it was brought under Roman rule as they began to expand into that area. What the area is known most for among historians is the great battle that occurred with Mark Antony or Octavian Augustus on one side and Brutus and Cassius on the other. And they fought a great battle there in 42 B.C. You can see the valley. This is the great valley where this battle took place. Augustus turned the city into a Roman colony. Now, when we mention colony, in our minds, we tend to think of what happened when settlers came from Europe, primarily from England, and settled the area of the United States and the area of the colonies. Well, the colony meant in Roman terms that it was a Roman outpost, a Roman city, if you will. Acts 16 and verse 12, Luke says, And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. What made it so special was there was part of the Praetorian Guard, part of this Italian band, if you will, that they were told that they would be given land in Italy near Rome. Obviously, land ran out, problems developed. And so the emperor said, what you can do, you can go to Macedonia and you can go to Philippi and I will give you land there. And 500 soldiers settled there and retired in the city of Philippi. That meant they would have had their own self-government. They could have elected their own leaders. They could make their own choices. They would be free from paying taxes to the emperor. You see, that's where you want to live. You know taxes. People sometimes move to Tennessee and say, oh, you don't have a state income tax. You move to Philippi, you don't have an emperor tax. And it had all the privileges of a Roman city. Now that comes into play when you start thinking about what happened to Paul and Silas. On the second missionary journey, Paul wanted to go further in the direction he was going. He had gone through Galatia, you know, uh, Luke records in verses 6 through 8 of Acts 16 when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. If you just think in your mind, Paul is going north, and every time he tries to turn north, the Holy Spirit said no. Well, he tries to go a little further and tries to turn north. The Holy Spirit says, no. He tries to go further north and the Holy Spirit says, I know. And so he goes down to Troas. 
Well, obviously from Troas, there's going to be something important. There's going to be a vision, a dream for Paul. There's going to be a call that's going to take place. Look at verses 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a call, a Macedonian call. We sometimes sing the song, Send the Light. There's a Macedonian call today. People saying, come, bring us the gospel, bring us the gospel. Well, that's exactly what they're going to do, is they're going to go to Philippi. When Paul gets there, his first convert is a dear lady who sells purple by the name of Lydia. Verses 13 through 15, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city Uh, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, here's something we learned. Evidently, was not a Jewish synagogue there. And so where do they go? They have a, a meeting place down by the riverside. Convenient location. If we were going to have a meeting today somewhere in location, we might say, well, we'll, we'll meet in uh, the park downtown. Or we may meet at Pepper Branch Park. Or we may meet... Often there would be a place where people could gather together and this is where they were gathering together to pray. Paul had the privilege of preaching to Lydia, teaching her the gospel. We learned that her heart was opened in verse 14. She and her household were baptized. They became Christians, heard the message, yielded to the message, and then became Christians. The second convert that we know of is the jailer. You remember after some time had passed, there was a young lady who had been following Paul and Silas. And she had been revealing that these are servants of the Most High God. And The text said she had a spirit of divination. She was making her master's money by soothsaying or telling the future. Paul commands the spirit to come out of this young girl. When the masters see they no longer have any money to make off to her, they have Paul and Silas thrown in prison and beaten. You know, you can read all of this in the early part of Acts 16. But I want to pick up with verse 25. They're in jail now. Midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and The prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chain was loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking from the sleep and seeking the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But when Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately... He and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, set food before them, he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. What do you learn from these accounts of conversions? You learn that Lydia heard the word. It opened her heart. She believed and was baptized. She and her household. What do you learn about the jailer, you learn that he listened to what Paul and Silas had to say. First, they told him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but then they preached all the word to him. Following that, Luke says he immediately was baptized. He didn't wait. He saw the significance of it. There's no indication that anybody else was converted at this time, but many must have come shortly thereafter. And you say, well, how do you know that? Now, if you look at the Crenides River, there's some of the ruins of Philippi. There's where Paul evidently uh, in that marketplace had cast that spirit of divination out of that young girl. There's the jail that appears in uh, Philippi. And there's where they kept them securely. You would have had Paul in the inner prison being held with his hands and his feet in stocks. Acts 16, verse 23. That leads me to the third part of the lesson, and that's the church. Because when Paul leaves in Acts 16 and verse 40, so far as we know, you have the family. Let's look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. You've got a new congregation now. This congregation is comprised of a Jewish lady, probably a proselyte, from another town. This is not where she normally lives. She's just in town to sell purple. The other convert is a Gentile man. He's a jailer. Can you imagine that first congregation and you imagine the services they held and their households? Perhaps there was young men growing up in that household. Perhaps there were maybe even older men that were being kept by them. And yet 10 years later, what do you see in Philippi? Let's listen to Philippians 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, all the saints. You know, often we let the world define our terms. But when you go to the Bible, the word saints refers to the Christians. If somebody comes and looks at the church at Bobby Branch and they say to all the saints, we're talking about everybody who's a Christian. Somewhere along the line, we've got this idea that a saint is some sort of super Christian. Someone who has done great deeds 
If you're a child of God, you are a saint. Verses 40 or 21 and 22 of chapter 4. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. But then he says, with the bishops and the deacons. What do I know about this church that started ten years later? Now they have appointed men that meet certain qualifications. And you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He talks about those who must be blameless, the husband of one wife, tempered, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. You see that these are people who met qualifications that the Holy Spirit put forth. One of them is not a novice. So could it be the jailer is now one of the bishops of this congregation? Could it be that some of Lydia's household who has been converted are still now there and become one of the bishops? And the deacons, these servants. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, but just taking reference to verses 8 through 10. They're not to be double-tongued. must be reverent, not double-tongued. Not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Let these also first be tested, and then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. You know, these are men who have already been tested. They've already demonstrated their knowledge and their ability. Every properly organized congregation is going to follow that pattern. What does God expect when a church is started? He expects them to do exactly what Philippi did. He expects them to train men, to put forth men who can serve as bishops. He expects them to train men who are going to serve as deacons. When Paul left Titus in Crete, he said, I left you there to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then he goes on and he gives the qualifications for them. That's the way God intended His church to be run. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right way to be a part of the right church. Well, you're going to have to follow God's plan in order to do that. What you find out is not only were there women like Lydia, but you find out there's some other good women in this congregation. He said in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Here's what I've learned about the church in Philippi. You start with a lady, you'll start with a jailer. Next thing you know, you've got elders, you've got deacons, you've got women who've worked to make a congregation strong and successful. But I learned something else from them in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. I learned that they're a very generous people even though they don't have much. This makes me believe that they're probably people like the jailer, an ordinary person with an ordinary life who are going to do great things. Paul said, moreover, we 
make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, they're having a tar hard time, the abundance of their joy. These are people who are going through an affliction, but they're joyful. They listen to Paul. And their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. Well, these people, they cared enough to give. For I there and them witnessed that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. You want to tell you what makes a congregation joyful, happy? They're a group of people who are doing what God tells them to do, who may not have everything in this world's life, but I tell you what they do have, they're going to use and they're going to use well because they're not laying up treasures on earth. They're laying up treasures in heaven. Let me tell you sort of the conclusion now of, of this introduction. As Christians, we ought to seek to have an impact on our community. The church at Body Branch should say we ought to be a happy group of people, a joyful group of people, so that people in the community know that we love the Lord, we love them, and we want to do good. But come what may, our citizenship is in heaven. We should reflect our joy in the spite of the circumstances. You know, that's one thing that's really hard for me. I don't know about you. I get up in the morning and if everything's going well, I had a good night's sleep, the sun's shining, the weather's beautiful, people are nice when you greet them on the road, I can smile and be happy. But you know, some mornings I get up and I've not had a good night's sleep. Some mornings I get up and the dog growls at me. Some mornings I get up and I come in and I answer the phone and I say, Good morning, Bobby Branch. And somebody, What do you want? You know, I get one of those calls every once in a while. Can you still smile? Can you still be happy in spite of the circumstances? The brethren at Philippi were. And you know, if you and I want to capture what they had, we need to study the book of Philippians. We need to take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and say, what did Paul tell them? What kind of people were they? And maybe I can find true joy in my life. Maybe I can have the peace that passes all understanding. We should think about what that jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? Let me tell you something about tonight. We're going to sing the invitation song in just a minute. There may possibly be somebody here this evening who's going to come down and say, I want to become a Christian, I want to be baptized. You know, we plead for that every service, but it's genuine, it's real. It may have stuck in your mind, that may be what you're wanting to do tonight. Let me tell you something, what will happen to you if you leave this place, you will leave knowing 
You've done what God told you to do. You will be like Lydia who says to Paul, if you judge me faithful to the Lord, come to my house. I'm happy. You'll be like the jailer who takes Paul and Silas and what can we do for you? How can, do you know he washed their stripes? He put food before them? He was happy. When we sing the invitation song, if you obey the gospel, you will not go home tonight sad. You'll go home tonight glad. There'll be a joy, there'll be a happiness that cannot be explained to anybody else. Now let me talk to you about those of us who are Christians. Do you all know sometimes we carry around burdens with us that we don't need to be carrying around? We've got anger, we've got hostility, we've got ill will toward one of our brothers or one of our sisters. We've allowed the world to come in and dictate to us how we're going to live. And you may tell you what you need to do with that tonight. You need to just do exactly what chapter 4 verse 6 says. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. It's time to turn it loose. If you're ready to come forward, if you're ready to become a Christian, would you do so while we stand together and sing?